Blog Talk Radio. We are the UR Tennis Network. Our mission is to be the voice of tennis. We enlist a team of passionate enthusiasts to promote our sport. We strive to bring interesting perspectives on the many spins of tennis. Our goal is to provide the learners of our sport with current news and information from many angles. We seek active participation from communities interested in tennis, but tennis is not interested in them. We are expanding our outreach. Tennis is a true lifetime sport that needs to be talked about, and the UR Tennis Network pledges to pursue this idea relentlessly. Introducing in the red corner, American Tennis! And introducing in the blue corner, your host for American Tennis, Mr. Chuck Greasy! Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get in the game. This is Coach Chuck Creasy, and it's another week of American Tennis. Every Wednesday at noon on the We Coach Tennis Network. And thank you, J.P. Weber, for taking over the UR Tennis Network. And, of course, Jason Haynes, thank you for your four-and-a-half, five-year running uh, We Coach Tennis Series. And, my golly, what a lot of uh, information we have been able to get out many, many programs that you have. Announced We Coach Tennis, and this is American Tennis, just one of the four programs besides We Coach Tennis. We also have Lisa Stone's Parenting Aces pro- program, and then also, of course, John Denise's program. Uh, actually, tomorrow I'll be on John's program at 5.30, folks, Eastern Time, so if you'd like to tune in, tune in to... Uh, Coach Denise's program, and uh, golly, I'm looking forward to uh, him hitting with me with as many questions as I can. And uh, of course, I've got all those opinions. My golly, after 46 years in this sport, are you kidding me? <laughs> Everybody asks about tennis, I, I, and I, this is just a funny offshoot. So uh, I talk to people. I go to swim meets now, baseball games, and all those things with my children, and. And people ask, oh, you're a tennis coach. That must be a lot of fun. And, you know, and 
in the meantime, they're thinking, oh, wow, what an easy job. And it is sun up till sundown, as you know. And especially if you've got a college team or a high school team, when you're working with people who want to achieve or often working with people who don't want to achieve, it's, it's incredibly hard. It really is because each person you have on your team is like a team in itself. And uh, if you have, like, it could be your number eight player, but his forehand, his backhand, his serve, his mental toughness, uh, engaging versus not engaging, his thought process under pressure, his nutrition, the way he develops his body, his uh, problems with his girlfriend, his studying, and all those things are like team members of his team. So it's like I tell I tell people often, if I have 10 players, I've got like really 120 issues coming at me each week and sometimes every day. So, you know, any coaching is, is really tough. Golly, being a parent is extremely tough right now. That's, you know, unfortunately a lot of people bail out on that. And darn, good doggone it, you want to bail out on the coaching when it gets tough. You want to bail out on the teaching when it gets tough. All you teachers out there, especially you, you know, your elementary and secondary teachers, God bless you for the work you do. And it, But there's nothing more important, you know. So I'll be on John's program, though, tomorrow at 530. And, uh, and then, of course, Lisa Stone's Parenting Aces program, the hit of the hit programs. Uh, tune in and listen to her on Tuesdays at noon. And uh, she's always got some great people on there but this is american tennis every week at noon every wednesday at noon i should say and uh folks go to my website chuckcreasy.net k-r-i-e-s-e.net and i've got every program more than 200 of my programs instructional series a coaching series and many many guests that i have had on the program um you can go to chuckcreasy.net, and then you also can get them at UR Tennis Network and uh, lots lots of great programs there. Email me if you would like at chuck at coachcreasy.com, chuck at coachcreasy.com. If you'd like a special program or some things discussed, I will be uh, starting to host a coach's call in and, and ask the coach program uh, you know, pretty soon here we're trying to put it together, and I'll let you know when the breakout date or the birth date or the uh, initial broadcast date of that program will be. So um, we'll we'll keep you informed with that. But thanks for listening uh, today. We've got a lot to discuss. I, before I go to commercial, i got to sort of tell you the story about today's program. First of all, uh, Jonathan Barth is a wonderful man, um, Roy Barth, uh, of course, everyone knows Roy Barth in the South and, uh, you know, throughout the country, throughout the tennis world, you know, Roy Barth, but his two wonderful sons, John, Jonathan, uh, is very, very involved with the USTA and the USTA Southern Division. And if you want anybody to uh, sort of deliver messages without delivering blows, uh, somebody who can get the message where it needs to be without ever offending someone, Someone who listens twice as much as they speak, uh, gosh, this guy really has a knack for not just getting along with people, but getting things done. <clears throat> I, I just really enjoy the time spent with him. He has a way to articulate things that sort of, uh, 
it explains it all, you know. But uh, also his son, his brother Sandon, played for me at one of the best experiences in coaching that I have had. Sandon was on my uh, our conference championship team in 1997. But he came as a walk-on in about 94, 95, and uh, literally we had we had a very strong team. And he came as a good basketball player and a pretty good tennis player. He was sort of going his own way. He didn't want to have to be exactly like his dad, I guess. And, you know, we all who have children, you know, we want our children to find their own deal and their own love of the sport. But you know, Sandin was a walk-on, and I I knew who he was. I knew he was the great Roy Barth's son, and I used to call him Stanton. I used to go, Stanton, I'm going to make you quit. And he says, Coach, I will never quit. Quitting is one of those things I don't do, Coach. Coach, I will not quit. I said, Stanton, I'm going to make you quit. And uh, I didn't call him <laughs> Sandin on purpose for about six months. Uh, I didn't want him to think he was getting any favors, that's for sure. And I didn't give him any favors. The tougher I delivered it as coach, the tougher he brought it back. And he went from a walk-on to being a conference champion uh, and uh, a team leader and part of that 1997 team that had a dramatic win over Duke in the finals of the ACC tournament, and I'll never forget that one. The great Mitch Springlemeyer was a team leader. And, and uh, anyway, I'm saying that because Roy Barth just comes from good stock, and uh, or excuse me, Jonathan does. Jonathan was supposed to be on today. And uh, what happened was that uh, he is so tied up with stuff that I'll have him on next week. So uh, anyhow, uh, look forward to that program for sure. So this morning I'm scrambling, trying to get somebody else on the program. And instead of uh, just doing anything, um, I'm sitting there and we're going through a discussion with my son. And my wife says, I want you to talk to our son. And I said, okay, what's going on now? Here, here he's 11 years old. So, you know, it's, you know, folks, look, until about age 10, there really is not a great reasoning process in our children. Now, we, we think they're adults because they might be able to run an, you know, iPhone or they, we think they're adults because they have so many facts in their head, but the reasoning process, I remember from my psychology classes, the reasoning process happens really somewhere around 9, 10, 11 in there. They start figuring out, wow, their linear thinking or their, uh, uh, if I do this, then this happens, and if the consequences are this, this happens. And, I, you know, I remember back myself before age 8 or 9, I used to do triple triple jumps off the high diving board and land on my back and just I'd go do it again and we would build bike ramps in the alley where we'd get roaring down on our bikes and we'd go up these big ramps and fly through the air we didn't wear helmets we just wrecked the bike and uh it was the big deal and we would have go-kart races out in try around this we called it dead man's curve uh where I grew up uh but unfortunately, uh, I don't know what in the world we think we did it right out in the road. And we used to hunt for snakes. Did you ever do this? We hunted for snakes as kids over at the park and over in the creek beds. We would literally look under rocks for snakes and try to catch them and things. And I mean, what were we thinking? I mean, you don't think. You just act. And, and uh, 
this is the argument I always have with my wife. Uh, our house always looks like a gymnasium outside. You know, we've got tree houses and, and we got a one of those zip lines and we've got these things that the kids hang on upside down in bars and we've got chickens and we've got dogs and we've got every kind of animal possible and it's like it's pretty awesome but as you know i look back i'm thinking oh my gosh a lot of they they don't see the stuff that's coming around the bend and you don't until i can remember in psychology class learning that and they used to these experiments and show that kids reach age reasoning about 9 10 or 11 but that with that long story, I wanted to explain that recently my son has hit 9, 10, and 11. And when he gets ready to go play a ball game in the morning, it's not like, hey, let's go get a warm-up. And yeah, it's fun to go warm up. It's sort of like, whoa, there's pressure today. And my wife has a hard time getting him to go out and warm up. And I'm saying, son, go get your jump ropes in. I'm not going to tell you to do it. I can't force you as a dad. Ball players do this stuff, and uh, he does it, but whoa, it's like pressure. The pressure starts now. Kids start thinking, wow, if I goof up, that's bad. If I do well, it's really, really hard, and whereas kids have been playing sports up to about age 10, have fun, have fun, have fun, have fun, and parents keep trying to push that, have fun, have fun, and it's almost comical, as some of the kids frown when they do bad now, and they're cringing, almost afraid to go up to bat. Parents are going to just, just have fun, son. Honey, just have fun. Well, they figure out, you know, it's not so much fun to strike out. You know what? It's not so much fun to miss that play. And you know what? It's not so much fun to do all this work if you want to get better at stuff. So they reach this age where the thought process kicks in, and they understand how much gain for how much pain and is the prize worth the price that I I'm paying every prize has a price every prize has a pain and is it all worth it and those who love the sport yeah it's worth it and they figure out that I would rather go through the pain of training and even the terrible emotional pain of losing and we didn't even talk about that yet how losing is part of the growth process. You know my saying that you never let wins go to your head, you never let losses go to your heart. It has to work in reverse. Wins should go to your heart for confidence while losses go to your head for learning. But it's not natural to have it work that way. It's not natural. It is a natural thing to hurt when you lose, it is a natural thing to feel good when you win, and you want to fly real high when you win, but until you learn, boy, there's some high, the highs and the lows always sort of get leveled out. Golly, I was talking to, and I, and you know, listen, folks, I talk about my Christianity a lot, but I, a couple of my players uh, who I know are, you know, strong, have strong faith the other day, one of the kids was really down on himself, and I said, look, Mike Springlemeyer, Mike, my friend, buddy, Mike Springlemeyer, one of my just uh, great peers told me one time, he said, look, it'll help you get through the up and the downs of sports if you, when you win, 
you just you basically said, okay, thank you, Lord. What am I supposed to do with this blessing that I have? And if you lose, you basically say, okay, uh, Lord, what do you want me to learn from this? And you know, regardless of uh, your belief system, it you walk with the great and the small in equal dignity. You are able to ride through the ups and the downs and the kick arounds that happen in sport. So anyhow, with that introduction about what happens when you get to be 9, 10, and 11, and my son, I had to have a talk with him, and I said, and my wife, (laughs) she's got them playing ping pong now, wants to help all their hand-eye coordination, and got all the kids playing ping pong. And she said, after he lost... To her, he didn't want to play again, and I had to have a talk. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. If at first you don't succeed, we all know that statement, but it's not natural to want to try, try again. It's natural to now to change a channel or sort of give up. So my son, I had to talk with him, and I just said, son, look, this learning how to be tough, is not a natural born instinct. It's not natural thing. You are not born with it. When the pressure comes and you feel a certain way and you feel bad, everybody feels like quitting. And again, it's feeling what do you feel and then what do you think and what do you do? You know, uh, there's that old acronym they say, don't be fat, feel it, act, and then think. you got to feel, think, and act. But the big thing there is to, you've got to recognize it and name it, claim it, and tame it when the fear comes. Part of the pressure, I mean, I see it now. I see a lot of the baseball kids starting to quit. I see, you know, one parent whose son was pretty good baseball player. I want to take the the time off this this year, Dad. I, I don't want to play ball. I see it all the time in tennis. I'd sort of like to take the time off here, get away from tournaments a little bit. Well, you know, it's not that you get stale or burnt out. It's just the fact that you don't naturally, none of us naturally love and embrace losing and the pain, and therefore the mental toughness is not a natural born instinct. So, My son gave me the idea. I said, son, this morning after I talked to him about try, try again, and it's not natural. I said, son, I got to figure out what to do. Tell me what. He said, Papa, why don't you tell him that story that you talked to my team about the other day? And uh, sure enough, uh, we've uh, off of that, I was able to build some things that I want to pass out there. And it is sports related. But it's tennis-related, and I wanted to say this. Yes, tennis teaches everything if, if the pureness of the individual's best effort is put into the cup or into the match. The pureness of your best effort has to be put back into the match. You try, try again. I related it one time to a group of youngsters. I said, you know, that quitting thing, you know, when you lose, it's going to hurt. 
and it's going to hurt a lot. But if you get right back in to the fray, in other words, go out and run, go out and do your uh, balls off the backboard when you lose, turn bad pain into good pain. If you do that right away, it's sort of like a broken bone that when it heals, it gets twice as strong. But I said, if you get into that quitting thing and you get away, run away from it, if you run away from the pain, you get the Q virus, you know, a quitter virus, the Q virus. And that virus, you might try to come out and play again, but it makes you weak and it makes you more afraid. And you basically don't look at the monster that you have to battle and conquer. And and pretty much, folks, pretty much that's uh, all of our kids go through this. And I want to talk today about this and give you a few things to hang on to. And uh, we'll be right back after this commercial. And listen, we got a few callers. Go ahead and call back in. Love to have your comments and your thoughts. This is Chuck Creasy with American Tennis. This is Coach J.P. Weber of the We Coach Tennis Radio Show. In my 30 years' experience in coaching tennis, I've never seen a better tennis training situation for children than Coach Creasy's total tennis training camps. Chuck Creasy has coached them and trained them in every arena from juniors to collegiate to professional tennis, and over 15,000 children have improved their games at his summer tennis camps. Find out more at ChuckCreasy.net. That's ChuckCreasy.net. This Coach Chuck Creasy, and folks, if you'd like to have one of your ideas or something on our American Tennis Program, email me at chuck at coachcreasy.com, chuck at coachcreasy.com. Folks, I love tennis, and I love to have new ideas, and I'd love to have your idea for one of our new programs. Go to chuckcreasy.net, but email me at chuck at coachcreasy.com. Dot com. Great power comes great 
responsibility. And we call it the curse of the Spider-Man. I use this a lot with kids to sort of give it a name it, claim it, tame it uh, mentality, something they can live up to. Now, this is an important point I'm, I'm making. With young kids, I try to, a long time ago I learned you, you know, with somebody that's acting badly or somebody that's acting good, uh, you you basically, when they're acting badly, you say, wow, this isn't like the guy I know, or wait a minute, these actions are not up to your standard. Or you basically, um, you ever think about it, how much better it is to sort of fight the devil and listen to the angel instead of, hey, you're a bad kid or you're a good kid. It keeps you from flying so high. But a long time ago at my camps, when it used to get hot in South Carolina and in the old days, and we would be middle of the afternoon in our camps. Uh, we'd had an imaginary character come out of the bushes. He'd come around, he would dress up, and we called him King Wimp. And he would come out and give his little thing and say, Kids, it's too hot here. Why don't we go inside and get some air conditioning? Oh, kids, let's just have a... Back then, we I don't even know if we had Gatorade back then. I think we did, but let's have a Gatorade or a lemonade. Just, oh, kids, I just like to give in when it's it gets too hot. I put my feet up, and I just say, why do all those people just trying so hard for? So King Wimp was not somebody that the kids wanted to be. And then I tried to come up with a name, King Kong, King Tough, King something, to epitomize the angel on the other channel. The other, the other shoulder, uh, and uh, this summer a kid came up with uh, King Can of Whoop Ass, <laughs> and of course yeah, the kids roared, they laughed, but I saw a few parents who were hanging around frowned, so we said uh, King Can of Whoop em, and instead of a Can of Whoop Ass, <laughs> and uh, so the but, but the bottom line on the thing is that. You don't address, you never call a person a bad person. You say you're doing a bad thing. Now, with my college guys, I tell them it's like this. You know, oh, what tangled webs we weave when first we practice to deceive. Or every day of your life, every act that you do, it's like a fine hair that's wound into a rope that cannot be broke. And there's another thing that we were taught at every action becomes a habit every habit becomes a uh, let's see how does it go it becomes it ultimately becomes your character every thought becomes an action every action becomes um, a habit every habit becomes a you know part of who you are character and then every character defines your destiny there's a many things like this about your actions but I always ask my guys I'd say fellas when does that which we do become who we are? In other words, if you have a bad stroke right now, we all know this in tennis, but if you have a bad habit on your stroke, uh, let's just see how hard it is when it's earlier. It's easier to not change, isn't it? Kid uses wrong grip on his volleys all the time. The kids are using forehand grips for volleys, eastern forehand. I try to get them to use that continental grip or the backhand grip to volley. And most of the time it's because they line up the racket straight out in front instead of in the backhand position. You, you can't get a continental grip if you put it right out in front. 
So uh, the bottom line on the thing, we could talk about technique forever on that one, but habits, habits have a way of becoming who we are. So I ask my guys, when does that which you do become who you are? When does a man who lie becomes a liar? When does a man who's dishonest become a dishonest man? When does a person who's lazy one time become a lazy bum? When does a person who works hard become an automatic hard worker? When does a person who just goes to school every day and puts all the work in, they become a student? It's not just about when does a person who sits down and plays music every day of life finally become a musician? When does a person who plays tennis become a tennis player? So it's all about learned behavior. Being tough is not a natural born instinct. It is a learned behavior. I even have it defined to this place. We name it, claim it, and try to tame it here uh, with our team and with the kids I work with. At first, I call it the wimp, jerk, man syndrome, which you've heard me talk about before. All of us are wimpy at first. Of course, I was wimpy as a kid and probably a lot wimpier than other kids. If I get hit in the nose, I'd walk home crying a lot. I used, I could remember crying a lot before I was seven, eight years old and things. And on the playground, uh, we'd get hit in the nose and something, not fight back. And, you know, mom and pop would always say, never start a fight, but always finish it. And that finishing part of it was pretty darn hard, to tell you the truth, uh, because that means I had to stick up to the bully. I had to stand up. You know, we've screwed this up so bad. We're so afraid kids get violent. Listen to me, especially you moms out there, and I'm not accusing you of being overprotective. Dads know this, but boys are going to fight. I have got a great video of our baseball, my son's baseball team getting together the other day. They had about 20 minutes before showtime where the coach was showing, my son's coach was showing them a movie. They wrestled on the floor. It was unbelievable. The boys have to have this physical contact. They need wrestling or football or boxing, and they need to rough it up a little bit. It's just who they are. And you know what? The kids learn their pecking order through the fights on the playground because, you know what? The fighting turns to arguing. Arguing turns to heated discussions. The discussions turn to talking. The talking turns to debates. And that turns to great friendships. Every guy out there has been in fights on the playground when they're a kid knows that, that that kid you fought with is your best friend the rest of your life because you went to a level that your brother and sister are just a friend down the street. You went to a level that you cannot go to any other way. And, you know, all this bullying stuff. I am not promoting bullying. Don't even go there and even think that. But, daggone it, I know for a fact kids – need to learn how to stick up against the bullies. And at first, we're all wimps. We are. I got picked on by a couple bullies, and I went home. Boy, oh, boy, one kid really, really hurt me physically. Uh, this nasty thing that he did, he uh, burnt me with a thing on my arm. I went, I didn't, I started going, hey, man, what would you do that for? And I walked on home. My dad said, you get on back there. When you don't ever let some kid do something to you like that. And basically, it was all right to get your clock cleaned. But by golly, by golly, 
You don't want to teach kids that it's okay to be a wimp and back down. Oh, walk away to fight another day. No. No. Kids have to learn how to stick up for themselves. I'm not promoting fighting, but there is a place where you got to go to where you draw a line and uh, you never get in a mudslinging contest with a pig because you both get dirty and they like it, but daggone it, you don't stand there and bend over and say, thank you, sir, may I have another, and just take it. Kids have to learn how to stick up for themselves. And you know what? I'm a guy. And I know that women do it in different ways. And, and you know, I, I, I'll just tell you this. I've never won an argument with a woman. And uh, they're just too good. They're just too good. I, I'm not – I just lost a bunch of ladies listening to my show, I think. You guys are just too good, though. <laughs> you know how to do it. I think the average girl, they said, has done 8 million words before the boy who's 8 or 9 has done 8 or 80 or something. <laughs> But you guys uh, converse, and you know how to talk a lot better than we do. But boys need to learn how to be tough. And, uh, you know, the big thing is at first you're a wimp. Then you become a jerk. Then you ultimately learn how to become a man. And I'm, I'm saying this because it is a process of not you learn. You, first you back down. And that's okay. Then you learn not to back down, and a lot of times you do it in the wrong way. I know that I was always a jerk after I was a wimp. I'd go back and get in that fight and do, you know, and, and probably be a jerk to the kid for a while longer or something. And then ultimately you have to learn to go through the process of being a man and handling confrontation and being a meek person. Meek. Meek means strong under control, strength under control. Ultimately, you want strength projected under control. So it's not a natural thing to do this. And I think I've made the point pretty well this morning already, um, you know, about this. So my son, my son said, look, Dad, will you talk to, uh, maybe you could talk about this. And, and uh, so what I had the kids do on his baseball team was, I got them together and got gave them a, a cup, and I did I did three things here. I gave them all a cup and get them to put. I said I do this every year before the start of the season, and I'll get a big bucket of something, you know, and then I'll get everybody a cup. I'll put the bucket in the middle, and in the cup I'll put different levels of water. Like my manager, I'll put maybe an inch. My team captain, I'll put four inches. I put some in mine, some in the assistant coaches, some in every one of the players. Then I'll draw lines on the bucket, and I'll say, okay, here is a winning season. Okay, fair enough. Then here is conference championship. Here is a top 20 team or whatever we're going for. And then I have everybody pour the water into the bucket. And guess what? We barely have enough to get our top goal, and we barely have enough to get a goal that's beyond that. And, and then we have a realistic goal, a goal that's really out there. But I point out to them that, you know, really nobody else is going to be on the team. Maybe something will happen, but we get a few wins along the way. But the, but the water is – the cup is all we have. So we got to put our most pure – pure energy, our most pure 
competitive desire, our most pure efforts into this bucket with your cup. And everybody counts. And if we leave out Joe over here, the manager, or Freddie, the the team stringer, or somebody, or we leave somebody out, we're missing some of this ingredients. And I go, wow, that's cool. We got enough if everybody contributes their most pure, pure water. So, but watch, guys. And then I take a knife or a pen or a screwdriver out, and I poke holes in the bottom of the bucket. One, I said, here's a guy not going to study, all getting in trouble academically, and you can't play five matches. Here's a guy that starts partying too much. Here's a guy that gives a bad effort at practice. This is a guy that talks badly about other people. This is a guy that won't get things on the table and do this and this and this. And I poke holes and the water starts running out. I said, try to catch the water guys, try to catch it. And they get it. I say, guys, if everybody is all in, everybody puts their water in the bucket, everybody, nobody self-sabotage, we can be pretty darn good. So I do this every year before the season starts, and it's really a good exercise to do. So then I talk to the team about the difference, and you've heard me speak about this, about you have two issues. You give your best or you don't give your best. You win or you lose. A good good is you give your best and you win. A bad bad is you don't give your best and you lose. The two areas you have to decide is whether you'll take a good bad or a bad good. The good bad is where you give your best, but you don't get the result you want, you lose. You gave everything you had, and it rips your heart out. I asked my son after a loss one time, and listen, this is a Tim Wilkinson moment that I had with him, and he wouldn't even remember, probably 1980 or something. I think his wife was a Clemson cheerleader, and he was down to see her, and he was training with our team. And we walked up to uh, <clears throat> the net afterwards. He would come down and hit with the guys, and then I would work him out some. And he came to the net afterwards, and I talked to him about being on the tour, and he was about three years out there. He said, my first year, if I won a match every month, I was having a great month. He said, I lost a lot. Then little by little, Dr. Dirt was his nickname because he was such a competitor. He said, little by little, I start figuring it out. But here's the real thing, and <clears throat> I don't think he would remember this, but I remembered these These were like, this was like loaded language. He said, Coach, I hate to lose, but more than hating to lose, I hate not to play and compete. And I never forgot that. That was an important thing for me in my young coaching career to hear a great athlete say that. And, and uh, I said that to my son after a tough loss. I said, this pain that you're having now, would you rather have this or not play baseball? He said, Papa, I, I got to play baseball. And I said, yep. Well, then you have to understand that there is not about nothing about you cannot give a bad effort. You have to give your best, and when you lose, it's going to hurt, but you'll use the pain and turn it into good pain, and eventually, son, you will be able to deal with it, and eventually you'll get stronger and stronger and stronger. And you won't be afraid anymore. You won't be that King Wimp will not have you by the collar. King Wimp will not have you anymore. You'll start to go to I can do this, to I should do this, to 
you know, King need a can, giving them a can of whoopings here. And we all wish that ever you could be a competitor that easy, but folks, I'm telling you, it's going to be a two or three year process with my son, and it's it's just part of the deal. It's a it's a it's a year or two process with a lot of these young freshmen I work with, and everybody on my team. It's a year or two process. It is not a natural, natural born instinct to be a competitor or to be tough. Thank you, Tim Wilkes, and I remember that all these years. That's been 35 years minimum, and uh, that was that was really good because it helped me come up with this good, 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 bads, bad, goods, and bad, bads. Well, actually, the preacher where I used to go up in uh, Maryland told the story about it's not what happens to you, it's what happens in you. It's not what happens to a man, it's what happens in a man. It's not what happens to a woman, it's what happens in that woman. So there's good goods. You work, do your best and win, or you do your best and lose. Doing your best and lose, you've done the right thing. Eventually you learn how to do the right thing in the right way, and it all starts working out more and more. Now, the bad good is things that you have not worked for that you get. You cheat to win. You don't give your best and you still win. You sort of go around. Nobody feels good about that. You get something Folks, you get a participation trophy. You get a trophy, you get an award, and you don't deserve it. You get something you didn't work for. Every time, And anything you get that you have not worked for, there is not the association of pride. And when you don't have the association of the right kind of pride, pride can be a deadly sin, but it is pride in the work that you have done as a noble quality. Pride is either a deadly sin or a noble quality. And it's a fine line. It's a razor-thin edge. But the noble quality of working hard for something is omitted when someone gets something they have not worked for. And so when you, when kids get a trophy they haven't worked for, it is the worst thing possible. When kids get a grade on a test that they shouldn't get, they get a participation trophy, they have not worked for it. And, and here's the point. That bad good always turns to a bad, bad. There is no way on this God's green earth that a bad good turns into a good, bad, or a good, good. And trying to build self-esteem does not do it. Not sticking up to that bully on the playground, not sticking up for things on the tennis court, not sticking up for yourself in a tough situation, not doing these will never naturally come around. Just like my son has to learn how to naturally, excuse me, how to unnaturally go through the process of being insecure and sticking up for himself, fighting through things. You know what? And that's tough as a parent because sometimes kids don't get it. But you've got to be able to name it, claim it, tame it. Because I'm telling you, you will be able to name it, claim it, and blame it later. The kid who doesn't stick up for himself ends up blaming the bully. But does the kid ever get tougher? No, they become a victim. We become victims when are we allow King Wimp, King Wimp to be in our ear so long that we become wimpy. No, we act wimpy, and then eventually we become folks. It, you know, uh, 
It's about our actions. Everybody is good. Look, tolerance is not a virtue. In ourselves, accepting the wrong actions, that's not a virtue to be tolerant of our bad actions or other people's bad actions. We love everyone, but we don't have to tolerate things. And our children, we should not tolerate our children acting wimpy. We should not tolerate our children not doing the right things. We should not tolerate our children not working through hard times. We should not tolerate our kids children being quitters. Changing direction is different than being a quitter. But you, you basically, we have to teach our children these tough lessons. It's not natural. I don't know where we're, we're going to go with all this uh, in our society. Um, you know, my daughter was at a swim meet last night, or last swim meet. I'm so proud. She's seventh grader and made the varsity team. She's at a swim meet. But I had a discussion with one of the parents, and I'm not all uh, sort of happy and feel great about the way the meets are run. They had three teams there, did not have any kind of a scoreboard. The kids were all just sort of having fun, having fun, having fun, talking, giggling, just sort of mixing. And then, you know, what's interesting is that I said to my wife, they're not getting ready to swim. A lot of them just talk and they're treating this like an after-school activity it's really frustrating and she said to me she said no wait till they get in the water and I observed two kids getting ready to get onto the uh, diving little platform and getting ready to go and they're goofing around went to whoa 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 I got a big thing coming up here then they dove in either prepared or half prepared and did good or bad and then it was like but the changing of emotions was all wrong. It's sort of like, let's go out and have fun. Well, again, that's, it's, it's easy until you get out there, and if you're the pitcher on the mound, let's go have fun. Well, you don't, you're, it's fine until you're trying to have fun and people start waylaying on your pitches. Hey, it's fun. Let's just have fun until you're down 3-0, and it's sort of a big match, and you don't but, – but you basically – it's very, very important – to get the kids to acknowledge the nervousness and to get butterflies and then get them to fly in formation. It is so wrong to tell kids, oh, just go have fun. Parents don't do that. Tell them, go to your routine, go through your 10 to 15-minute mental and emotional routine, and there's plenty of mental toughness things out there, the Jim Lair stuff and and other coaches, that where you can go and, and get your routines, and coaches know this, but I'm, I'm telling you, I've learned, I've only been to, I'm, I'm new to swimming, I'm new to baseball. I understand the tennis all too well as the hundreds of matches that I've coached. But with this, there is a preparation for the pressure. And if you don't prepare for the pressure, there's no way to be tough under pressure. It is not just a physical endeavor. It's an endeavor of the heart where the emotions have to be right. And if the emotions are right, the head gets right. And if the emotions and the head get right, you know what? The body does pretty good. But if your child or you are getting ready to compete and you go out to, and let's just have fun and you try to just make it a physical endeavor, I'm sorry, that that ain't the way it works. You need to acknowledge the pressure. You need to go through the steps to get ready for the pressure you do your routines to get the butterflies to fly in formation 
and then deal with your nervousness before you go to the court or get into the swimming pool or go to the baseball mound, and then you go, and you go after it, and you let it go. That's when the stuff comes where all of the mental rehearsal and stuff pays off. Uh, I, I am having a youngster on my team read a book called The Total Release Performance, TRP. I read the book years ago when I was first a coach, and it sure did help a, lo- a lot. So, <clears throat> folks, I wanted to uh, tell you a few, few quick uh, anecdotes or uh, stories or analogies or metaphors or comparisons to, uh, to what you do with, with the fear. You know, I've got my sayings like, you know, everybody wants to be tough. Nobody wants tough times. Um, you know, there's no heavier burden than a great opportunity. There's not many traffic jams at the head of the pack. If you're not the lead dog, the scenery never changes. I mean, there's lots and lots of antidotes or lots and lots of loaded language about this. My favorite, again, is the black door. Uh, I think there's a couple fears. That there's there's fear of the responsibility of the pressure. I, the kids aren't afraid of failing anymore because parents don't let them fail, and there's too many rewards for failing. We don't allow our kids to be embarrassed, shamed, or feel bad for too long. Uh, so there's but maybe not enough pain. Reward is another, another tough one because they do they get so many rewards. For everything, every tennis player is walking around with four rackets, a bag, a coach, and they're treated like they've already made it to Wimbledon. And, they're, you know, they're, you're able to be a tennis player or look like a tennis player before you can even play tennis good. So we have a lot of posers in this sport, don't we? Well, we have them in every walk of life, but we've been able to perfect the poser look. We've been able to perfect the poser presentation to where you fake it till you make it until it's really on the line and then you flake it. I guess it, it, it really is, is uh, something. But kids are afraid of the responsibility. The curse of the Spider-Man is just that. Uh, the other day I was talking about ability, desire, and opportunity to, to the kids, and I said, you know, God-given You've heard me say this a lot on our program. If God gives you the ability, that is a constant. The variables are the opportunities given by your parents, and the other variable is your own desire. And I even give them the equation, 1 through 10, and the magic number is 23 to 25. And I said, most of us have 7 or 8, or you wouldn't be in the sport. You have at least a 7. But I said, you do have these individuals. And I pulled out a kid, and I said, you know, you have the curse of a a Spider-Man. I timed you today on running the first base, and you ran it in 3.9. Wow, all the other kids were 4.4, 4.5, 4.6. You thought, you got jets on your feet, and God gave you those jets. So you have the curse of the Spider-Man. They said, what's that? And, you know, with great power comes, and all the kids repeated, great responsibility. What a great line. What a great line. Too much is given, much is expected, but that responsibility scares the bejeebies out of children and they have to learn how to deal with their fear they have to learn how to face that fear and say you know what if it's to be it's up to me maybe i know it's exciting but when it has to be up to me when it has to be up to me is when it gets really scary 
Am I worthy to carry this ball? Can I carry this ball? What if I fail? All of these things run through the kids' minds. Have you ever noticed how great athletes have a lot? Oh, my golly. Uh, the great athletes either have children or who reject the uh, carrying the ball or they embrace it. Boy, oh, boy, do I respect Archie Manning and what he did with his kids, Peyton and Eli and Carson. Unbelievable. But if you watch that 30 times 30, I think it was the book of Manning. It was on ESPN or something. Folks, go back and watch that. It's fantastic. Peyton and those guys, they said, our dad just loved us. We just liked being around him and being around it. And it was pretty cool. I, there probably not many better jobs of parent. I think Wayne Bryan had done unbelievable. You know, I remember Dick Leach did unbelievably good job with his sons, Ricky and John, Jonathan. And, I mean, there's some great, I think, Stan Smith, unbelievable job with his kids turned out so good. So, so just good human beings and, and uh, just a good knack for leading, not pushing the kids into stuff. It's pretty, pretty darn cool to watch it. But anyhow, the curse of the Spider-Man is when you have that pressure and uh, you have to live up to it. So kids are afraid of this and we have to help kids learn to walk through this and it's not a natural born instinct. They have to work through it. But the other thing, they're afraid of the unknown and the unknown uh, situation. We always are. The black door is the one I've used for years and years. And it's when kids have an opportunity, but they're afraid to go to the next level. I always tell them the story of the black door. And that's the one where the Persian general had captured an enemy spy and put him in front of the firing squad and gets ready. They get ready to shoot him. At the last second, the general said, spy. We'll give you one last chance. You can either take the black door or the firing squad, your choice. And the spy looks surprised, and he says, well, what is behind that black door? I'd sort of like to know what the situation is. He said, I can't tell you. Your choice, black door or firing squad. And in his mind, the spy thinks, oh, my gosh, tigers to rip me apart. Tough. Oh, my golly, the pain's going to be unbelievable. Oh, my gosh, oh, my God. Let's get it over with. He said, let's get this thing over with. I'm ready to die. And he takes the firing squad, and they kill him, and they carry him off. And a young corporal walks out and said, well, General, what was behind the black door? And the general says, why, it's freedom. But no one has ever chosen it. You see how it is with men. They will always choose a, a, a comfortable or a situation that they're acquainted with. They'll always choose comfort under the over the unknown. He could have had freedom, but he was too accustomed to not taking the risks of doing things that could be bad or could be good. And how many times I've told this story, and I've loved it when I hear players come back and say, Coach, I went through a big black door, took that job interview, but I got it. Coach, I went and I love the movie. For some reasons, I bought a zoo. Old uh, Damon, Matt Damon in there said, everything comes down to 20, 20 seconds of blind courage. <clears throat> he asked his wife to marry him and other things. But our kids get afraid of going through the black doors. But again, if we know the story of the black door, we can call it the black door and we can name it, we can claim it, and then we can tame it. Everybody wants to be tough, but nobody wants tough times. We all have these situations 
the biggest thing for us to remember, though, folks, is that, golly, uh, courage is a, they say, a, a brave man or courage is only when cowardice is backed into the corner far enough. All of us are afraid before we're strong, before we're brave. We need to put challenges in front of our kids, and if we lower the bar, do not lower the bar. If we lower the bar, the kids gain nothing. They gain nothing, and they'll go to that good or bad good scenario that turns to a bad bad. Then they become victims when it doesn't work out for them. It becomes your responsibility to be tough and to do your best after you've done it a few times. And therefore, the responsibility is there. And when you're up against impossible odds, and I'll leave you with this saying because we're about out of time. I saw it on the Gary Cooper interview of years ago. I think his daughter said it. And his daughter used to said that Gary Cooper used to say, kids, there ain't no horse it can't be rode, but there ain't no rider it can't be throwed. And once you understand that sticking your nose into the fire is the only way that you learn. And once you understand that pain is not the enemy, it is what teaches us. And once you understand that it's a progression one way or another, I, I, it, it makes more sense. But until that time, all of us have kids we work with. All of us have children we, we, we uh, love and None of us want to see anybody in pain, but the greatest pain is to sit there and see your kid be afraid. You don't want them to be afraid in this world coming down the stretch. And, uh, you know, the first thing is to uh, just get them to stick up to little things. And I am out of time, and I'm sorry. Next week we will have Jonathan Barth on the program. This Chuck of winning or losing every day of your life, and it has very little to do with a win or loss. We'll see you next week, folks. God bless each and every one of you. Opinions stated by various contributors to the UR Tennis Network and its programming are not to be considered as endorsed by the UR Tennis Network. Participants are encouraged to use their own discernments and draw their own conclusions. All information, products, and services offered by the UR Tennis Network are for personal use only. The UR Tennis Network does not confirm nor deny the validity or accuracy of information contained within the network. Any products or services provided for should be used solely for entertainment purposes. We emphasize the idea of keeping an open mind and not construing the products, services, or data as factual.